pick up reading here in just a few moments about midstream. But just remember the context of this, what's going on. I'm not going to go back and read these verses. But when we looked in chapter number 16, the Apostle Paul had been uh, in a place called Philippi. And he went down to the river. And that's where uh, prayer was wont to be made, which lets us know there was no synagogue uh, there in Philippi. And once he left Philippi, uh, he goes over and he ends up in Thessalonica. And there's a great there's a great riot that arose there because of the preaching of the gospel. Many believed the Lord Jesus and got gloriously saved, got born again, and uh, their lives were changed. And they assaulted uh, the house of Jason. The Bible said because the statement was that they they've come the, that crowd has turned the world upside down. They came to Thessalonica, and as a result of that, they they escorted Paul out. And uh, Paul left and went to a place called Berea. And he went to Berea, and there he preached. And, and that crowd was more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were that they had heard. And it's important to search your Bible and to search the Scripture to make sure that, hey, is it lined up with what God has said? And that crowd did that. But it wasn't long till that crowd from Thessalonica heard that Paul was preaching in Berea. So they sent a, they sent a bunch over there and basically run him out of town. And he ends up in a place called Athens, Greece. And we're going to look at that tonight with the help of the Lord. But I got to thinking about that. And, you know, Jesus made some statements there in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 18, about the importance of not to offend. Now, of course, Jesus was talking about uh, little children over there in Matthew 18, but it's worth hitting this tonight and I know it because we can be one of two things to people. We can be a stepping stone or we can be a stumbling block. And we're one of the two. It's sort of like making a positive impact or a negative impact. We can be a stepping stone, bring folks closer to Christ, or we can be a stumbling block that keeps them from Christ. And boy, I wouldn't want to have the blood on my hands that that crowd at Thessalonica had when they came to Berea and, and run off probably one of the greatest preachers there ever was. And he ended up in Athens. But you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 18? You'll know this scripture well. Now keep in mind, he was taught the disciples were disputing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18 verse number 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But listen to the warning of Jesus in verse number 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, if it were, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, I want to make a statement tonight, and, and you'll know it's true. If you go into any, it doesn't matter. I'm sure there's probably some, I hate to say it, there's probably some here at Faith. You can go to Mount Bethel, you can go to Turner's Creek, you can go to any church you want to where there's a number of people. There's some folks that are not pleased with certain people coming in to their church building. That's just a fact. It's just the way it is. And I'll tell you this, this is what Jesus said. You'd be better off with a millstone hung around your neck, cast to the depths of the sea, than to offend one of those little ones. That's something to chew on. And this crowd here in Thessalonica, I don't know who they were, but boy, they'd have been better off to drown themselves in the sea than to hinder those people that could have got saved in Berea. But guess what? 
in spite of the persecution, in spite of all the, the outside influence there in Berea, the Apostle Paul went to a place called Athens that had a great impact there. And that's where we're going to pick up reading in Acts 17 and verse number 15. The Bible said, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Other some he seemed to be a setter, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now, boy, some folks say, well, the Scripture ain't up to date. Are you kidding me? There's a lot of folks today that have that same mentality. They really have nothing else to do other than to tell or to hear something new. That's what we would define as gossip, by the way. We're moving on. Look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions. I found an altar under this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeth he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation." that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. All of us ought to say amen right there. I'm glad. Whatever your need may be today, it may be salvation, it may be strength, maybe something else. I'm glad he's not far from you and I. I'm glad we can reach out to him, whether in a public setting, in a private setting, and where people's around, where people's not around, in your home, at work, in the car. It makes no difference. You can reach out to the Lord. I'm glad he's a reachable God that you can communicate with, and he's a personal God that wants to have a personal relationship with me and with you. Why in the world do you think he created Adam and Eve over there in the book of Genesis? The only reason he created mankind was to have fellowship with him. And boy, I'm glad that God desires to have fellowship with me. And he desires to have fellowship with you. And he's not far from every one of us. He goes on to say there in the Word of God in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, For we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath, listen now, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. You say, well, now who's that a reference to? That's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he was buried. Yes, he died. He was buried. And three days later, he rose again. That's who uh, the reference is to. The Bible said in John 5, verse number 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. We go on to see in verse 32, And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among, which, among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. Now let's pray. Father, as a bow in your presence, God, tonight on this Wednesday night, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity just to be back and, Lord, just to worship. Yeah, thank you for the good number that's here tonight. God, you know every need that's in this building. Those are listed by way of the Facebook, the telephone, live stream, CD ministry. God, I pray that you'd meet every need tonight. Help this feeble preacher now to decrease that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. Lord, please help us tonight. Help me to articulate the message you placed upon our heart. I pray it be clear. I pray if there's one lost, never been saved. I pray that tonight, on a Wednesday night, be the night somebody received Christ as Savior. Help the saint of God that's struggling. We'll be careful to give you thanks and give you praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people see it. Amen. We've read this scripture out of Acts 17. I want to apologize for reading a lengthy passage. That's what we need more of is the Word of God. We don't need fairy tales. We don't, we don't need clippings and newspaper articles. We need the inspired Word of God. And that's what we have tonight in Acts chapter number 17. The birth of the church took place in Acts chapter number 2. And the gospel has spread, yet persecution has abounded in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And here on this second missionary journey, as he goes back through, and he's been in Thessalonica, then he went to Berea. Now he ends up in a place called Athens. And you know what, as Paul went in, I mean, it, it, was, it, it would have been known as the, basically the capital, the intellectual capital of the world, and also manufacturing capital of the world. There were some great buildings, there were some great structures that had been erected. But can I tell you, the Apostle Paul, when he went into Athens, when he left Berea and he went into Athens, listen, Brother Jeremy, he, wouldn't, he didn't come as a sightseer. He didn't come as a spectator. He came as a soul winner. And boy, you and I ought to get in that same. You know, it's, it's great to read your Bible. That's wonderful. It's great to come to church. It's great to pray. It's great to tithe and to do all that, to do, do good unto you. Never, I get all that. But what about sharing the greatest gift that you've ever been given? You say, what is the greatest gift that I've ever been given? Preach well, it's salvation. It's what the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ has done for us. All those things I just mentioned are important. But what about passing it on to the next generation, to the next individual, to that co-worker, to that neighbor, to somebody that's lost, undone without God and on their way to a place called hell? The Apostle Paul, when he went to Athens, he didn't go just to see the sights. He didn't go just to spectate. There were souls on his mind, those that were in an unforgiven state, those that were lost and condemned and on their way to hell. But Paul loved them enough that he risked his own life to go and to tell about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shared his faith like you and I ought to do. Did you know that every soul is valuable? Every soul is important. Every soul is eternal. Every soul is precious. It makes no difference of the age. It makes no difference of the race. It makes no difference of the social standing. Every individual are precious in the eyes of God. Call no man or no woman worthless for whom Christ Jesus died for. Because he died for every man. You think about the vilest of the vile, the worst 
of the worst. He died for every one of them. He died for me. Hey, friend, he died for you. Every person that has ever lived. You say, well, man, that was a worthless individual. That was a worthless individual. Jesus thought it was they were, they were worth enough for him marching up Calvary's cross, not bearing his sin, but bearing their sin and our sin and willingly laying his life down, becoming that substitute so you and I could go to a place called heaven and our choir just started out a minute ago when we all get to heaven. The sad reality is not everybody's going to heaven. you got to go God's way and it's through and by Jesus Christ and Him alone. Folks say, well, that's too much of a narrow message. Preacher, it's the message of the day. That's what the early church was preaching. That message cannot change. It's a fundamental of the faith. If you want to go to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the only means. That's the only way. But here's the good news. It's accessible. He is accessible for all of us. Because he's not very far from everyone. Do you know he's just a call away? Just like I'm talking to you, just like you would talk to me, you talk to God. The Bible still said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shall believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, listen, Athens, Greece was an intellectual sinner. It was a cultural sinner of the day. But Paul had three things. And I'm going to hit through these quickly because i got really a main point I want to get to. Three things he had. First of all, he had a stirring. What did he get stirred up about? Notice what the Bible said in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, so we know where he is. Again, that's a cultural and intellectual center of the world at that particular time in history. He's waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was stirred in him. And then it tells us why when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Everything, Brother Doby, under the sun that could be worshipped was in this place called Athens, Greece. And as Paul visited that, he seen everything that was going on. And listen, man's idols always agree with them and their lifestyles. Now, I want everybody to get that. Man's idols will always agree with you and your lifestyles, but man's idols never confront their sinfulness. Idolatry breaks the greatest commandment of all according to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. There's probably not a one of us in here that at some point or the other don't have some kind of idol. And from time, it may just be from time to time. It may be a constant thing. But there's something that takes the place of God in our lives. Pulls us away from fellowship and worship of the God of heaven. Well, listen, that breaks the first commandment of the greatest commandment. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 37 38. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Well, listen, if you got something that, that's in a greater position than God is, you're loving it more with your heart, your soul, and with your mind. And the greatest commandment is we're to love God. We're to give Him not part of our devotion. We're to give all of it unto Him. Paul enters into Athens, and it's holy, the Bible said, given to idolatry. They're worshiping everything under the sun. Not much has changed. No, you might not have a statue in your house that you bow down to, but we bow down to a lot of things. And Paul was in Athens, Greece, and he sees all this, and he was stirred. Again, he wasn't all by the architectural design of the day or the pomp 
and, and, and the glory of men for the creations within that city. His spirit was stirred when he saw the idolatry, and the city was wholly given unto that. Again, he didn't come as a sightseer. He came as a soul winner, and their souls were given to this idolatry. Paul saw people that were lost and condemned, again, on their way to hell, and he was stirred with him. You know what we need more than anything else today? I mean, we got to have God's touch, but we need to stir him. To really see, I mean, to open with your spiritual eyes and look around you, that people are condemned. There's people around us that are unforgiven. They're, they're on that broad road that leads to destruction. Where's the concern? There's more, there's more apathy than there is concern when it comes to lost souls. That, that's still the church's primary responsibility. Me as a preacher, listen, there's a lot of things we can preach on, but you've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We as individuals, as we leave this church building, we encounter people that are going one of two places. They're going to heaven if they know Jesus. They're going to hell if they don't matter how moral they are, don't matter how what kind of good a person they are. They're on their way to the lake of fire apart from Jesus Christ. That's the two types of people that we're going to run into. But where is the stirring that the Apostle Paul had? Boy, we ought to get stirred up about people dying lost without God. I mean, we're, we're running out of time. I, I, I don't know. I, we can't go back and repeat Sunday. You can't go back and repeat yesterday. We can't repeat five minutes ago. And we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we better be busy about the Father's business. We ought to be stirred like the Apostle Paul was when he went in. Man, he wasn't breathtaking uh, by the great scenes, the architectural design. He was stirred because he saw lost people that were lost and undone without the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what was his strategy? Strategy should be sort of the same as it should be with us. Notice verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Now remember in Philippi, there wasn't a synagogue. Now, when he went to Thessalonica, there was one. When he went to Berea. But in Philippi, there wasn't one, but there's one here in Athens. So there was a collection. There's at least 10 Jewish men because that's what it took to establish a synagogue. And he goes in and he begins to preach about the, resur- the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes in and he proclaimed the Scripture. That's what every preacher ought to do. Proclaim the Scripture. That's what we're to do. That's where there's power. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 4, verse number 10. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. You know, when you read God's word, man, it, sometimes it just sticks in, man. And it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It'll cut going and coming. When you think about that and you think about the word of God, he came in and he proclaimed the scripture there in the synagogue, but he also went into the supermarket. You say, wait, Tom, look at verse 17. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Every person he come in contact with, Brother Harold, he's talking about Jesus. He's sharing his faith. He's, if he had had a track during that day, he had handed a track, but he probably didn't have tracks. They didn't have printing presses during those days. I mean, he was handwritten on parchment paper and different things, so they didn't have a lot of that. But by word of mouth, he would articulate the message about, hey, listen, I want to tell you about somebody that loved you. I want to tell you about somebody that went up to Calvary's cross, gave his heart and life, uh, gave his life so you could be saved. Uh, he died. He gave up the ghost, and they buried him in a barred tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But three days later, let me tell you this, he rose again from the grave. Oh, a, a victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Let me tell you about that. He went into the synagogue preaching the scripture. He went into the supermarket promoting the Savior. And that's exactly what 
he did. You know, there's a couple types of people that Paul met, and those people are still around today. I've met some of them, and if you witness to anybody any length of time, you're going to see and there may be some sitting in here tonight. But the Epicureans and the Stoics, that's who he encountered. For notice in verse 18, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. Some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a sinner forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Make no mistake about what Paul was preaching. Because in verse 18, he's preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. The same message that I'm privileged to preach every opportunity I get, not only here in the pulpit, but the people I meet and come in contact with. It's my privilege to be able to tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that changed my life, that has changed others, can change them. And boy, think about it. If somebody had the antidote and they had the answer to cancer and they said, well, you know what? I'm going to hold that back. I'm not going to share it. You say, well, man, that'd be a tragedy. All of our families have been affected by cancer. I tell you, a greater tragedy than that. We got the answer to the thing called sin, man, and guilt and shame and the key that'll unlock heaven. And too many times we hoard that up. Most times it's because of a fear of rejection. Well, preacher, what if they reject me? Well, listen, they rejected the Lord Jesus. He was crucified. Look at the disciples, many of the writers of, of our Bible. They were martyred for the faith because it, it's just part of it. Rejection does come. But you're going to have some that ain't going to reject you're going to have some that's going to receive. But the Epicureans, who in the world were they? Let me just give you this. They were identified with pleasures and materialism. They believed in no absolute truth whatsoever. No existence after death whatsoever. I've witnessed the folks uh, here in East Bend, North Carolina. And Brother Howard, you'd talk to them. And I said, well, man, what, where are you going when you die? Well, I'm just going to go out here to the graveyard. I'm just going to cease to exist. Exact words to me at Forsyth Hospital one night. Just going to go out here and cease to exist. That's what the Epicureans believed. You think about this. They didn't believe that deities and those gods, those statues were personal, which they weren't. But the God of heaven is a personal God. The God that I know, the God I'm preaching to you about, he is a personal God that wanted to have a personal relationship with me. All I had to say was yes. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. All you got to say is yes to him. But you think about this. Their philosophy was to just enjoy life. Just enjoy life. That was their thinking. Well, there's a lot of that that goes on today. Jesus hit this. I didn't have it marked, but I want you to get this in Luke chapter uh, number 12. I'm just going to read this, and I'm moving about as quick as I can. Luke chapter number 12, verse number 16, Jesus said this. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That was the Epicurean mentality. Just enjoy life. You're going to cease to exist. Just enjoy life every day that you have. And then God goes on to say in verse number 20, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for heaven, and is not rich toward God. I want you to think about the richest man that's on planet earth right now. Think about the richest woman that's on planet earth right now. Then think about the poorest man and the poorest woman. They both got a common denominator. Both of them are going to die one day. The Bible said in Hebrews 9, 27, As it is appointed unto me, once die, but after this judgment, they're going to have an encounter. They've got a date they're going to keep, and they're going to stand before a thrice holy God. 
And the only thing's going to matter, it's not going to be the money they had or the lack thereof. It's going to be that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ or the lack thereof. That's what's going to settle their eternal destination. And when you close your eyes in death, that's it. There's no second chances. There's no purgatory. You get one shot at this thing to say yes or no to Jesus. And the ball is in my court. The ball is in your court. But the Epicureans just said, hey, let's just enjoy life. We're going to cease to exist one day. What about the Stoics? Well, the Stoics, this is sort of a, a rough definition of them. They were identified with pleasures and materialism. Um, well, that's, no, they, they were, that was the Epicureans. The Stoics identi- were identified by pantheism. You say, what is pantheism? That's where they, they worshipped multiple gods. I mean, we would call that polytheism. They didn't just worship one god. They worshipped everything. That might have been a stone, might have been a statue, might have been a rock, might have been a ship, might have been a tree, might have been a shrub. They worshipped many, many gods, little g-gods, by the way, but they were identified by pantheism. They believed that God is everything, and everything is God. And you stay with me now. They believed everything is determined by fate or luck, but absolutely not the providential hand of God. They believed the soul is simply absorbed back into nature. That's where you, these, these characters that believe when you die, you come back as a caterpillar and a sheep and a dog and whatever that's that's the farthest from the truth that there could ever be but that's what the stokes believe they were committed to duty enduring pain and hardship without showing one's feelings or complaining the morality of the stoicism is based on pride relying on individual independence and supreme egotism man they were a prideful people their philosophy was not to enjoy life their philosophy was to endure life well, you know the founder of the Stoics? Listen to this. This is recorded in world history. Zeno of Sidium was the founder of Stoicism. He fell and broke his toe and took his own life by strangulation because <laughs> he couldn't measure up, although that's what they believed. Stoics were proud of their morality. I'm better than you mentality. Uh, the, they got this syndrome. They, they sort of raised their nose up and looked down on everybody else. Don't tell me there ain't none of them today either. Jesus said this in Matthew 23 and verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres. In other words, like tombstones, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He said, man, you, you look good on the outside, but you stink on the inside. That was... The Stoics, the Epicureans, again, they believe just ceased to exist. The Stoics believe that, hey, man's just going to be absorbed back into nature. Why is that important? Because the Apostle Paul hit that headlong when he presented a message. Because, see, he was stirred. He had a strategy. He was stirred not, not by the great architectural design, not by the great cultural events going on in the city of Aslam's. He was stirred because he saw lost people on their way to hell. He had a strategy. He went first, Brother Kevin, in the synagogue, and he preached the scriptures. Then he went into the supermarket. He met with people that come in contact with him, and he promoted and preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection, the message that could change their life. But he had a third thing. He had a sermon. He had a message. He sure did. And, boy, it's real, real simple to see as you go down Hey, look with me in verse number 24. I'm going to move quickly. I'm going to move like light and you stay with me. Here was the message. And listen, he was given the, the platform at Mars Hill there at Areopagus. 
And uh, evidently the people, they wanted to hear something new. And Paul had something new with Jesus and the resurrection. But listen, you may be seeking for life tonight. You may be seeking for the meaning of life. Can I tell you where your search will end? Your search will end at the foot of a cross. By the man named Jesus. He'll absolutely turn your life. And it's in a wonderful way. A wonderful way. Forgive you of all you sin. Be the best friend you've ever had in this life. That's where people that say, well, I, I'm looking for the meaning in life. Man, the true meaning of life is found with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you can't comprehend it. You can't even understand that until you get to know him. The psalmist hit it best. Psalm 34, verse number 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you ever taste, you'll, you'll come to the same conclusion. You'll come to the same end. That, oh, yes, God is good. But you know, Paul's message was that of God is creator and owner. Look at verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Paul looked around all those little G-gods that they were worshiping, statues, stones, shrubs, shrines that they were worshiping. He, he said, listen. My message to you is this, God is creator and he is owner. Look at verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. Look at uh, verse number 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his, also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. You see, we don't worship this pulpit. We don't worship this communion table. We don't worship this cross made of wood behind it. All of these are symbols of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that is worthy of all our worship because he is our creator and he is our owner. We think about this. Now, remember the Stoics, they believed in faith and luck. They didn't believe in the providential hand of God. Well, listen to what Paul said. I mean, he did head on. Look at verse 26. In reference to the Lord, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. Deuteronomy uh, 32 and verse 8 puts it this way When the Most High divided to the nations, uh, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So he's dealing with God as creator and owner. He deals with God being providential, not just by luck or happenstance or chance. He said God is noble. Look at verse 27. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. See, God's noble. Reminds me of Galatians 4 and verse number 8. How be it then? When ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no God. Psalm 145, verse 18 said, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. Thank God you and I can know him. And that was Paul's message. And then he said, Hey, God has spoken. Look at verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world and righteous by that man whom he hath ordained wherever he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus was the one that came, gave his life, because there was enmity, there was alienation. We were enemies of God. We could never measure up to God's righteousness. Isaiah 64 said all of our righteousness is filthy rags. What does that mean in Yagin County English, preacher? On our best day, we come short of the standard of God. Amen. But God made a way. By sending his son, his dear darling son that knew no sin, none whatsoever. He became that perfect substitute and that sacrifice to die in the place, not just for little old me, but for every person that's ever lived. For whosoever will, he died 
And that was the message that Paul came across. But I want you to get this. Did you know there was three responses? There was three responses to the message that Paul had on that day. And you'll find them right here in our text. Notice with me in verse number 33. So Paul, well, look at verse 32. And when they, had, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Three reactions to the message. Number one, he, there was derision. In other words, Paul was mocked. He was made fun of. That's what the Bible said in verse number 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. I've said in revival meetings, I never will forget. I was in a, well, I was here in Yagan County. That's before I ever even came uh, down here to faith. I was still at Mount Sinai. I was preaching a revival meeting. And there's some kids, some teenagers up in, in the balcony. That's when I could see. I really can't see as good now, but I, I could see them up in the balcony. They was cutting up, and I don't remember what it was. I, do, I know I was preaching a salvation message that night because our sister-in-law gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of that service. I'll never forget that. But as I looked up there, those kids were just cutting up, and it was a serious time. We were talking about the difference between heaven and hell and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I had to call that crowd down up there because they were laughing, and they were making fun. Now, the sad reality is this. I know of at least two of them that are no longer with us that were in that balcony that day. Now, I don't know they're standing between God but on that day, they had the opportunity, as Paul had that opportunity, to share the gospel to that crowd. And some of them mocked. They laughed. <laughs> Listen to that preacher. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about life after death. He's telling me that, man, i got to trust Christ if I want to go to heaven. If I don't get saved, I'm going to hell. Ha, 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 ha. They laughed all the way into hell. I wonder how many will respond to the same message tonight. Another opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. There was derision. Some mocked him. But then there was others that put a delay on it. Look at verse 32 again. The Bible said, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. They had heard the truth, Brother Kevin. They were confronted in their sin. And, and, and again, the devil won't ever tell you, Don't get saved. He'll just say, Don't get saved right now. And those boys said, well, you know what, Paul? We'll hear you again on this matter. In other words, there was a delay. That was a response. One was there was derision. They mocked and they laughed at the message of the Lord Jesus. There's people still laughing today. There'll come a time when that laughing will stop, friend. You can go ahead and guarantee that. They mocked and they caused derision. There was a delay, if you will. Oh, Paul, we'll get you one day. Remember over there, old Festus, when Paul came in Acts chapter 26? And he heard Festus and Drusilla's wife heard uh, Paul concerning faith in Christ. He said, when I have a convenient season, Paul, I'll call for it. Nowhere in the Word of God do we find where that convenient season ever came. Far as we know, Felix and Drusilla slipped off into hell, lost and undone without God. And they had the opportunity on that day to get saved. But they kicked the can down the road and they delayed coming to Christ. So you got derision. That's a response to mockery. Is that you? Think what I'm telling you is funny tonight? It's not funny. Man, I'm telling you what I'm telling you can set you free from the chains of sin. Now, it's up to you. God gives us a choice. You can laugh. You can make fun of it. You can, you can cause derision. You can mock. And you can delay. You say, well, one day, preacher, I'm going to get saved. One day. One day I will. What if that one day never comes? God deals with your heart. The Bible said now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. But there was another response. And what was a good response? There was derision. There was delay. 
But notice here, there's also a decision. Look at verse 33. So Paul departed from among them. How be it? Verse 34. Certain men clave unto him, watching, and believed. And believed. Among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. You know, we don't know a whole lot about Dionysius. We don't know a lot about Demarius. We don't know about the others that wouldn't even name, Brother Harold. But we know this, we're going to see them in heaven one day. You know Jesus Christ is Savior. Why is that? Because they responded by saying yes, surrendering their will to God's will. It's not God's will that it should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And on that day, when some were mocking and deriding, while others were delaying, well, we're here, we're one, we want to hear you again, Paul. Yeah, one day we'll get right, we'll get saved. This crowd made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they got saved. I close with this tonight as Sister Savannah comes. April the 27th, 1865. You don't remember that, do you? I don't either, man. Well, I remember the date, just by world history. April the 27th, you can look it up, 1865. There was a steamboat by the name of Sultana. That left St. Louis, Missouri going down, and that was this is where we had automobiles and everything else, and the steamboat was a main means of travel. And of course, the Mississippi River run all the way down to New Orleans. They left St. Louis, Missouri, heading down to New Orleans, Louisiana. About six miles north of Marion, Arkansas, that steamboat at 2 a.m. in the morning blowed up. That was, one of the, that was one of the effects of those steamboats. They were very dangerous, and they must have been a weakening there and whatever the barrel, what have you, would it blow it apart. And there was a great fire that was on the ship on that day. There was thousands of people, Brother Doby, that were on that ship. Now, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. Many are asleep. And by the testimony of a lot of the survivors... People were calling, wake up, wake up. Some woke up by the explosion. Some sort of woke up a little bit, and, and then they heard the scream saying, get off, and some just went back to sleep. Didn't even get up. On that day, some never woke up. Some woke up, and they heard the warning, but they didn't do anything. But there was others that got up and heeded the warning. And on that day, still to this day, 2024, it's the worst Maritime disaster in the United States history. 1,167 people, civilians, died on that day. A lot of them were paroled Union soldiers that were coming down. And they, there they were. They, uh, they were killed. 1,167. But you know what? Some of them could have escaped, but they didn't heed the warning. Some of them wouldn't even wake up. Some of them got... Stirred up a little bit, but then went right back to sleep, and they end up dying. But yet there was others that responded to the warning of the message. I beg you tonight, you better wake up. I warn you tonight that if you're listening, don't mock and make fun of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you so much, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. You may have came here tonight, preacher, nobody cares about me. Nobody, oh, that's a lie, man. That's what the devil wants you to believe. But God loved you enough that he died in your place. But the ball's in your court. Will you mock? Will you make fun? Will you delay? Oh, one day, preacher, I'm going to get right. Yeah, one day I will. We have no record where that crowd ever got right. We have no record where Felix and Drusilla ever got right. They had the opportunity. 
A boy Dionysius, Demarius, and others, the Bible said, made a decision. They said, yes, Lord. I want my sins forgiven. Yes, Lord. I want to go to heaven one day. Yes, I believe Jesus died for me. Yes, I believe he was right. Yes, I believe he rose again. I receive you as Lord and Savior. One day I'm going to see that crowd over there because they made a decision. One day I made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a decision your boyfriend can't make for you. Your girlfriend can't make for you. It's a decision we have to make as an individual between us and God. And yes, He is a personal God. He loves you. He desires to meet with you tonight. He desires to save you if you are saved. Man, I'm glad He'll still speak to us. He'll still help us along life's way as we stand all over the house. Let's pray. Father, now I love you and I thank you, Lord, for the privilege and opportunity. You got one more time to share. The gospel message. Now, Lord, you know the need of this hour. God, you birthed this heart, this message on my heart on Monday night. God, you know the needs that are in this building. Now, I beg and I plead in Jesus' name if there's one here tonight that maybe got that derision spirit, that mockery, maybe got that delay spirit. God, I ask tonight that they'd make a decision to receive Christ as Savior. God, I pray you would help them overcome any barrier, any wall that separates them in a relationship with you. I pray tonight, God, that somebody see that you love them, you care, and you can forgive. I beg and I plead in Jesus' name that you do work as only you can during this invitation time. We'll give you thanks. We'll give you praise for what you do if we ask it in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry has been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service. And every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words and good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sins. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.